Welcome to the Your Houston Podcast. This is your host, Nicholas Hall. And this is your co-host, Mario Castillo. How are you doing today, Mario? You know, I'm a little sleepy today. Yeah, hey. It is early. I, I feel like I'm I'm off my A game just a little. I'm, I'm, I'm on my B minus game today. Yeah, that's why. I'm playing these mind games. You know, for the audience out there, we started a weight loss challenge. And really what we're doing is shining some light on Houston Restaurants Week because... A lot of people aren't going to restaurants right now. And we thought no better way than to subject ourselves to five weeks of a hardcore weight loss challenge. I signed up for four, but I was tricked into five. I'm just going to put that out there. I think we all know Houston Restaurants Week is from August 2nd through September 7th. So get out there and support your restaurants. Get to-go food. Get whatever you you need. Because Mario and I are not eating for you. (laughs) So... What have you found most difficult about this challenge so far? Yeah, well, one, when I weighed myself after a week, my weight was exactly the same. <laughs> so that was that was a bit interesting because I've been working out a lot more, eating more plant-based meals almost exclusively with the exception of some uh, salmon or some shrimp here and there. Um, so, you know, I felt like I should see some progress after week one, but I didn't really see any. So we'll see, we'll see tomorrow. I'll do another weigh in and we'll see how that goes. That's why we're doing five weeks because you can't be beat down and turned away by that first week's result. That's not how weight loss works. I, well, I wasn't beat down, but what I did do was instead of doing 45 minutes, on the spin bike, I started doing an hour. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh, wow. So you, you upped the ante, if you yeah, will. We'll see. Well, Houston Restaurants Week, it's a really important thing. Uh, you know, the COVID pandemic has really hit home. And I mean, the government shut down restaurants and bars. And there are a lot of service sector workers. Um, and today's topic is so close to that in dealing with evictions. Um, and, and our guest today, you know, we like to be science-based and, and have a lot of data backing the decision-making process. Uh, so we've got Jeff Reichman, uh, from January advisors, and he's been part of the city of Houston's housing task force. So I'm really excited to get into that and, and see what the data is showing us. Um, you know, we'll be using the data to try to make the best decisions we possibly can. And, and here at your Houston, you know, we're an organization that's a grassroots organization to try to impact policies that improve the quality of life for Houstonians. So it's a great topic. And, and one that is on the minds of a lot of people right now, um, whether you are not working, whether you're working reduced hours or, you know, someone that has been financially impacted, uh, this is something that, uh, crosses their mind and it's an incredibly stressful and traumatic event to go through or to be, you know, threatened by. So we're excited to talk to Jeff, uh, and really dive into the issue and see what resources are available, uh, for those who might be impacted by eviction. Yeah. And we're going to make it fun. We're going to make it fun. We've got, we've got some new segments. We've kind of taken the lightning round and we've turned it into get ready to launch you know, where, where we really get the gray matter, get those brain, get the neurons firing. And then I've also come up with a little bit of a, a twist at the end of our show where we're going to do Houston, we've got a problem where I'm going to throw a ridiculous problem at our guest and give them an insane short amount of time to try to figure it out and solve it. So great guest, 
great topic. We're sacrificing ourselves for Houston's restaurant week. Mario, are you going to win the challenge? Absolutely. Okay. So if you win the challenge, what are you going to make me do? Because the format of this for the audience, we agreed, we took, took a blood oath on this challenge, right? Starting August 2nd through September 7th. The loser of the challenge gets to pick the next challenge. So have you put any thought into that? I haven't. I'm not even thinking about that yet. Are you sure? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going there yet. All right. Well, we're still week two of five. So <laughs> I will be sending your favorite suite to your house every night. I'll be doing everything I can because I'm committed. I'm in this to win this. So hope you're ready. He's already losing. Hold on. I got to think of something to say. The beauty of it is, even if you lose, you still win because you're losing weight for a good cause. That's right. For a good cause and for a healthier, you know, well-being. Well, I appreciate you trying. You're going down. All right, let's get into it. Here we go. Jeff Reichman, welcome to the show. We're really excited to have Jeff Reichman from January Advisors with us today as we talk about evictions and the housing stability uh, situation during the time of COVID-19. And for a little background, Jeff is the principal at January Advisors, a data science consulting firm. And he's also one of the founders of Sketch City, which is a nonprofit that addresses public problems using data and technology. Uh, he was a member of the housing stability, is a member of the housing stability task force that was formed and we're really excited to talk to him today. Hey Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Nick. How are you? You know, it's a good day. It's a good day. It's a hundred degrees in Houston. Yeah. Well, they say the humidity is good for your skin. So yeah, that's right. I always look for a positive sign in everything. So now my question for you is, are you ready for liftoff? Oh, I love that. Every single time I hear it, I'm going to get just every time it's going to be better and better. You know, this is the time now where I'm going to ask you some questions. Uh, Mm -hmm. We'll start off with some general questions then I'm going to get into some rapid fire questions to kind of get the cognitive materials moving, get those brain juices flowing. Uh, So first question, get a free dinner at any restaurant in Houston. Take as many people as you want. Where are you going and what are you ordering? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. I mean, like the classy response would be, we're going to Fogo and we're spending all night at the salad bar. (laughs) But I mean, the the realistic thing is like, uh, I would probably, I would probably, uh, I mean, I'd probably just want like tacos a go-go or Barnaby's or something just simple and uh, something with enough seating to hold as many people as possible because a lot of people need to eat. There you go. There you go. Hey, solid, solid answer. There is no wrong answer. Uh, you got a private jet filled with enough fuel to take you anywhere in the world. Where are you going? Oh man, I'm going to Philadelphia. I mean, who wouldn't? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Hey, Rocky. It's a great uh, place. It's inspirational. I see family, so you know, I uh, that's on my list to do in the fall. So I, I would take a private jet to get there. All right. Uh, just bring me back a cheesesteak, please. Um, you got it. If you could transplant anything from another city and bring it to Houston, what would it be and where would you put it? So it's got to be like a physical object? It could be anything. 
Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, I think taking Barton Springs and putting it right at uh, Allen's Landing would be pretty rad. I, I would agree. Yeah, that would be. That'd be a great, great feature to have here. Um, so now we're going to get into the rapid round. You ready? I'm ready? Do you think artificial intelligence will conquer humans or will we find a way to work together? I think we've already been conquered. Wow. Um, I don't know. Mind blown. I don't yeah. know. I'm optimistic. I hope we can work together. I think you just added more gray matter to my brain. Um, if you could grab a drink with anyone from the past, who would it be? Oh man, that's, that's such a hard question. There's so many people. Um, think why fast. not Satchel Page? Why not Satchel Page? The guy was awesome. There you go. All right. I respect that. What is a problem that data cannot solve and you'd like to see a solution for? Oh, the, the human condition. I mean, people are just sad right now and it's tough. It's tough being human and data can't tell us everything. Yep. Lighten it up now after that really deep, deep answer. Um, and what year will autonomous vehicles take over, if ever? Oh, boy. Everybody keeps saying like three years, but they've been saying that for 10 years. So I don't, I'm not putting my money on this table. I have no idea. Yeah. Hey, safe. Play it safe. Fair enough. This next question is from Mario and he can explain it after I ask it because it had me boggled. What's your favorite chart or diagram? <laughs> okay. Um, you know, there's different types of favorites. Like there's my favorite things to make. Well, like I love making maps. Um, there's my favorite to like interact with like Sankeys that show you a flow from one space to another. Um, I really like them all. I just like them when they're good, when they follow good principles. If you ever go to the subreddit data is ugly, that's what's not good. Hey, Interesting. good question, Mario. You know, Jeff's the data guy. And when you think about all the different ways you see information displayed, I'm like, okay, if I want to get to know him, I want to know what's his favorite way of displaying information. <laughs> well, now we know. So yeah. what's the last book you read or what are you reading now? Um, right now I'm reading the Alex Vitale book. Uh, what's this called? It's about policing, modern day policing. The last book I read was charged about uh, modern day prosecution and, uh, yeah, just trying to get through as, as many books as possible during the pandemic, read a good one about positivity. It was called positivity. And hey, that was pretty, that's pretty straightforward, that's right? Deal with the human that? condition, right? It's pretty straightforward. Um, yeah. And so on the t in the, in the vein of books, this one, you're really going to like Jeff. How exactly do you swim with sharks and survive? <laughs> what was, it? What was it? the gentleman who wrote that? Um, Harry or Harvey? I mean, that sales book, Swimming with the Sharks Without Getting even Eaten Alive, first thing you need to know is you need to know how to sell a car. If you know how to sell a car, you will never get eaten by a shark, apparently. <laughs> I just thought that was the best question. I remember when you were, I, we were, I think we were in my office and you had that book and I was like, what is that book? How, how to swim with sharks and, and survive? <laughs> so... Uh, well, that concludes a liftoff. I think our brain matter is where it needs to be. Uh, so you serve on the housing stability task force, and this is something that's on a lot of people's minds right now uh, as they might be in a situation where they're facing eviction or housing instability or know someone who is. Can you tell us what this task force does and uh, what's the purpose? Sure. So it's a 
It's about two dozen people uh, comprising uh, all different types of interests within the kind of real estate world from tenants to landlords uh, to community service providers. And its goal is to recommend uh, actions to the city and the county. It's convened by both the city and the county. It has uh, the recovery czars from the city and the county taking an active interest in it. And really, it's there to respond quickly to housing stability needs of the region. So, for example, right now, it's working quite a bit on trying to get parity in the rental assistance programs between the city and the county to improve the overall experience of applying for uh, rental assistance and, and obtaining it. Could you uh, briefly describe those rental assistance programs? Yeah, so um, both the city and the county are administering uh, rental assistance programs where um, depending on the program that you're in, generally speaking, what happens is a landlord applies to be a part of the rental assistance program, and then a tenant can apply for the assistance to be paid directly to their landlord. And its goal is really to both address the immediate rental needs, as well as past due rental balances, with the idea that the, the faster that we can address those issues, the less likely it will be for somebody to be evicted. You know, Jeff, when you were doing the, this project, is there anything in the data that really jumped out to you? Well, we have a lot of evictions in Houston, uh, and that's very challenging. We have a lot of just evictions in general, but we also have a pretty high eviction rate, which looks at the number of evictions per the renter-occupied household. Evictions are really a signal that not all is right in our economy, that some people aren't getting economic growth, they're not getting ahead, they're not able to make their income. And certainly during the pandemic, you know, as we see massive layoffs, massive unemployment, that threat becomes more ever present. But even before the pandemic, Houston had a lot of evictions. And so I think that this is a long overdue problem to address, and it affects a lot of people. And just keeping in mind, like I look at these this data and it's, you know, tens of thousands of households, but every eviction for an individual household is a major crisis. It represents a housing crisis, obviously, but losing your home is a mental health crisis. If you have children, it could be an education crisis. You might have to switch schools, uh, figure out how to get them enrolled. Um, there might be a food crisis. There might be a connectivity crisis. There's all these different things that cascade after an eviction happens. And so when we think about the magnitude of the event and then the scale at which this event happens to people, it's a pretty huge problem and one that we should really be working to address during a time in which we're telling everyone to stay home in order to be safe. I can't imagine what it would be like to go through an eviction process, being evicted from a, from a home. And you're saying Houston has a high eviction rate even before the pandemic hit. So this, uh, this is something I didn't know and uh, I don't think a lot of people realized. So what, what was our eviction rate before COVID and what has been the eviction rate? Well, I guess they've been frozen, right? Kind of. So our eviction rate before COVID, uh, in terms of total number of evictions, we had more evictions than any other jurisdiction than New York City. 
Um, in terms of eviction rate, we're looking at 2016 data when the eviction lab ranked it all and we ran our Houston data through it. Uh, we were tied with Detroit, which was number 36 in the nation. And that takes into account all these different types of, of cities, um, cities and municipalities, towns uh, of all varying sizes. We were definitely one of the highest uh, ranked major cities um, in the nation in terms of eviction rate. So it's a, it's a pretty major problem that um, we're able to kind of get by because of our scale. And because, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there, there's an abundance of housing, but it does signal that there's a lot of people who simply can't make ends meet in Houston. And there's another kind of factor to keep in mind when we think about evictions. And that is like, you don't not pay your rent. Like people, don't pay their rent after they don't pay their childcare bill, after they don't pay their car bill, after they don't pay their light bill. So not paying rent signals that in most cases, people have exhausted every available option to them and they don't want to be in a situation. So for a lot of people, it's reflexive to be like, well, you should just pay your rent. But that becomes um, very hard to achieve if you don't have savings and you don't have income for you know, a couple of months that becomes very real to people who would otherwise never think about defaulting on their rent. Yeah. I mean, having a roof over your head I and mean, that, that is the, the last resort. And as a yeah. real estate attorney, I mean, I see it with my clients, uh, you know, how do you even afford an attorney, you know, and, and, and there's so many people facing this problem. And like you said, it's a mental health crisis too, because it's usually related to a job issue, stability issues in general. Um, and your, your only routes generally to go towards like a legal aid clinic. Um, but there are some good attorneys out there that do pro bono work in this area and it, it's pretty alarming. Um, you know, one of the things I find that's interesting is that they talk about, well, it's a 30 day process. That's not usually what it's like when you're on the tenant side, you usually get something that says you have three days to get out. Um, it, it's that simple. And, uh, you know, it's just, it really is. It, it, it's something that, that is a problem. What I found interesting well, was since, yeah, oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I was just going to point out that since March 27th, I found interesting from the data that there was seven and a half percent of the eviction cases filed for properties in the city of Houston were federally backed mortgages. Mm -hmm. That is interesting. Uh, can you, can you kind of explain some of the discussion around that? In the interplay? Yeah, so there's all different numbers that people are using uh, to determine that. And, and we took a very conservative estimate when we looked at that. Uh, so we looked at every property that had a Fannie Mae, a Freddie Mac, or a HUD-backed mortgage. But um, there's a researcher with Southwest Texas College of Law who has done other analysis uh, around that. And so looking at for example, in his definition, if uh, you accept a Section 8 voucher, then that CARES Act protection should be extended to the entire property. And in, that, in, in those numbers, he's found 24% of eviction filings have violated the CARES Act and were done improperly. And so it's, it's interesting because there's very little recourse if you file an eviction case improperly. There's very little recourse for tenants. Um, they might be able to get legal counsel and uh, and get the case thrown out 
in that regard get it dismissed. It doesn't fix the underlying issue of the debt that's owed. Um, so the case can just be refiled properly, but uh, it does delay that process a little bit. But fewer than 3% of defendants have counsel. I mean, this is a process by which this is a civil proceeding, right? So like there's no right to counsel. You don't have a right to an attorney. So most people can't afford an attorney. And frankly, a lot of people don't know that they that legal aid exists. Some people aren't covered by legal aid because of a citizenship status. Um, so there's there's a lot of there are some resources available for those who know how to look, but there's not nearly enough resources to guide through this process as to match the number of people who are really facing eviction. So in regards to that CARES Act process, it's it's kind of a vanity statistic because there's not much we can do about it. Frankly, we can't even tell the court, here are all the cases that were filed improperly because that's, as I've been told, ex parte communication. Yep. So sadly, there, in order to really enforce this, it's got to be done very creatively and people have to be aware of which eviction cases were filed improperly. Yeah, I, I can speak from the legal side, you know, Historically, just the piece, JP judges have been pro-landlord. Um, but it, by giving, you know, people access to the data, access to the information, um, you know, that, that is enough to be compelling to the extent that they do go before the JP court and represent themselves pro se. You know, that, that's something that may, you know, buy them a little bit of time. But I'll say this, that's still a mental hardship of having to, one, go to court and, and have a notice and, and just have that time pressure that you're up against and uncertainty as to where you're going to sleep in the next week or two weeks. Um, so, so can someone be evicted today in Houston, Texas, or is there a moratorium? Is there a freeze? Did one of the executive orders that were signed recently, you know, ban evictions Where where do things stand today? That's a complex question, but the answer, the short answer is no, you can be evicted. Um, and it depends on how you define eviction and it depends on how you define moratorium. It's, it's complex. So federally speaking, the CARES Act expired. My understanding is that the president's most recent executive order does not materially affect that. Um, the Texas State Supreme Court had a moratorium on evictions for two months between March and May, at which time cases were allowed to be filed, but they weren't proceeding. So you would be in your home until that case proceeds, but that uh, has expired. And so judges are starting to add them to their dockets. Um, we've seen thousands of eviction cases filed. The CARES Act was supposed to prevent cases from being filed entirely uh, for properties that received federal dollars, but um, it's hard to know which properties those are. Uh, there's a lot of different data sources. It's hard to interpret and define the CARES Act from a legal perspective. So it, it, there was a lot that was left unclear. Uh, I can't comment on it from a legal standpoint, but the lawyers that I talk to, this is what they keep saying. And I see it manifesting in the interpretation of the CARES Act. And ultimately, there's no penalty for filing these cases unless there's a criminal penalty for you know lying on an affidavit, which they're required to submit when they file a case. So at the end of the day, the short answer is no, there are no real protections for tenants uh, from being evicted right now. And there's an unknown number of upstream self-evictions that ha happen when to Nick's point, you get a notice to vacate on your door and you're like, well, I'm out. I guess I got to go. There's a lot of people who don't want to show up to a courtroom for a variety of reasons, including distrust and authority. 
and uh, fear of their own safety. And so regardless of, you know, that this is a civil proceeding and doesn't, shouldn't be impacting other, other areas of the law, you know, there's a lot of fear out there. And of course, there's the health risks associated with showing up to court. So I think that there's, there's a lot that's going against tenants right now. And there's not a lot of controls in place to prevent those eviction cases from being filed. Yeah. And, you know, right here, our attorney general, you know, as of August 7th is issuing an an opinion concerning his opinion that local municipalities and elected officials cannot do anything concerning that. Yeah. Um, So Travis County and Dallas County have, and they have done the city has, um, there are things I think that we're in uncharted territory. And as policymakers, they have to be thinking that the things that they do in uncharted territory may end up in court and they can't be afraid of that. So his opinion was on a sort of like ordinance banning evictions. Does he, he's saying the city can't. So attorney generals basically, so the governor didn't take action on this per se, other than the emergency declaration. And so, you know, the opinion basically states in layman's terms that a locally elected official cannot unilaterally amend and or change chapter 24, you know, section 24 of the Texas uh, Real Property Code. Um, in other words, it's preempted in state law and you have to go back and amend that. And, and so, but as, as Jeff pointed out, uh, I think a judge in, in Travis County um, they just went ahead and made a decision with, based in equity, if you will. Um, so the opinions basically, and it states right here at the beginning, you know, authority of local government entities operating under the local emergency declarations to delay, prohibit, or restrict eviction procedures established by the legislature in Chapter 24 of the Property Code. Um, can't do it. <laughs> well, to Jeff's point, you know, thinking outside the box is getting creative and setting up a program that can provide assistance to pay landlords rent so that folks aren't past due and they're not getting evicted. Yeah. And I think that's where their work's extremely commendable on actually providing some positive solutions, some things that people can do and using this format and other formats to get the word out there as to where do people can go. We'll be sure to link down, um, let people know about Rio Grande Legal Aid Clinic and the Houston Bar Association's putting together um, something with uh, attorneys that are really going to be focused on evictions and doing some pro bono work. Um, but back to the, to the program and the data, um, Jeff, you mentioned that some of, of the attorneys out there in the legal community have stated that if, if there was a section eight or you know, otherwise low income, uh, tenant, that the entire property would then be protected under the auspices of the CARES Act. Mm-hmm. Did, did I read that correctly? I mean, is that. I can't comment on the legal interpretation. I think that their advocacy work is to try to protect as many tenants as possible. And in that case, then they're, they're doing their job quite well. I think that my understanding is that um, lawyers representing the interests of Houston apartment holders um, or owners would disagree. And I think that that sadly is left unclear in the CARES Act based on the, you know, the discrepancy and the, and the vast differences of interpretation uh, such that, you know, more clarity is going to be necessary um, or else we're going to be having these types of discussions. And that manifests in the data, right? Like, so, you know, is it a couple percent? Is it 25 percent? I mean, the way in which we think about 
those numbers as proportions of like, you know, cases filed in people and how big the problem really is, is, is important. I would be inclined to agree with Eric from South Texas's uh, point of view in that, you know, if a property owner is uh, at that property accepting any vouchers, then those uh, CARES Act protections should extend to everybody on the property. But, um, you know, that's just my opinion, man. That's a big Lebowski quote there. <laughs> so we're thinking about, you know, options that tenants have, resources that tenants have. One thing that uh, I've read about is an eviction diversion program. Can you tell us what that is and, and how that can be utilized? Sure. So eviction diversion programs are designed to work just like any diversion or deflection program designed to be an extra judicial uh, remedy to, uh, to, to the, the problem. So if eviction is one remedy, then perhaps paying the back rent is another remedy. And so diversion programs seek to align all of the different resources necessary. Um, and so Justice of the Peace, Jeremy Brown, has been uh, running a diversion program in his courtroom that involves bringing in a representative from HISD so that for every um, eviction case that comes across his courtroom, he's trying to find out, hey, do you have children within the HISD boundaries or going to an HISD school, are there resources that the school can provide to you to stabilize certain things? Are there additional wraparound services that you're eligible for? So he's able to triangulate different resources. Uh, veterans have resources available to them. Um, you know, people who live in certain areas, you know, for example, like Rick Campo and Camden property has put together their own, uh, rental assistance fund that functions as a diversion. It prevents the eviction. Um, so it's interesting to think about all of the different ways in which you can reach somebody before they hit that crisis point of getting evicted in places like Kalamazoo, Michigan, they use two one one as an eviction diversion program. So you call two one one. And that operator can connect you with all the right resources. Uh, in places like Richmond, Virginia, uh, they take eviction diversion very seriously because they, were, they had an extraordinarily high eviction rate. So they invested a lot of resources in counsel, in rental assistance, in uh, job training and job placement so that, um, so that they would reduce their eviction rate. So it's a, it's a proactive way of thinking about the problem. But um, diversion has become almost like, uh, at this point, the magnitude of the problem is so huge that diversion is one way of reducing harm, but it doesn't fix the systemic issues at, at hand here that make the problem so big. Is there a, a place where all those resources are, are listed, all those diversion resources? Um, there will be on the Housing Stability Task Force website. Uh, as it stands right now, I'm not sure. The city and the county in their rental assistance program website might have that info. We'll be sure to link that and and make that accessible to folks who are watching. Yep, most definitely. Um, you know, Jeff, I, I just can't thank you enough for doing this and working on this and getting the data because the data is so important. Being able to measure where we were, where we're at. I mean, most people don't realize prior to this pandemic, the economy in Houston, as far as energy sector was concerned, wasn't on a good trajectory. Um, going back to the five 500 year flood events that have hit the storm over the last five years, literally, uh, there's been just so much upheaval and disruption within the housing market, heightening the affordable housing crisis. And so along comes COVID-19 and here we are. It's just making it more difficult 
and harder on people. Um, so I, again, I can't thank you enough, man. Having somebody involved that's dealing with the data. I don't know who can argue with data or why they would argue with data, but some people do. So it's, it's good to get some level of transparency there. Um, one last question I would have before we get to the Houston, we've got a problem round. Before we get there, I got one thing Uh, after you. We'll do two more. Um, was I noticed that, you know, I'm I'm at your website, JanuaryAdvisors.com on this issue that, you know, a lot of the data displayed right now is through June. Have you kind of refreshed the data to get a, a really good look at what's happened since the PPP funding has kind of run out? Because that was really there to help the restaurant workers, you know, bartenders, everybody involved in this industry that has been completely shut down by the government. Yet the government's not necessarily there on a state level uh, to get them back on their feet. Yeah, um, so we have on JanuaryAdvisors.com slash evictions, we have a Harris County evictions dashboard that's totally interactive. It's updated every day. Uh, It does take a couple of days for cases to fully come in. So if you're just looking at like yesterday or the day before, the totals aren't quite there yet, but it gives you a daily view of how eviction cases have been filed and and what neighborhoods they're in. And that's JanuaryAdvisors.com slash evictions. Um, it's especially interesting to see, you know, how the cases are starting to go back up, the filings, uh, what neighborhoods are most affected by this, how much is at stake, and how few people have counsel. So I hope that this is a useful tool for people who are paying attention to the problem. And if you're a neighborhood advocate, if you uh, are on a super neighborhood committee or a civic club, you know, zoom into your neighborhood, grab a screen grab, post it to your Facebook group, share this information with other people who, uh, who could use it. And the data goes back to January 1st, 2020. So you can get a sense of what volume was like before the pandemic. And then you can start to see how it's gone down and, and now it's coming up again. You know, we've talked uh, about tenants' rights uh, a lot today. And your Houston actually has a white paper policy proposal to require flood disclosure to renters, which is something that we've been trying to move forward. So I think at some point, you know, we'd love to connect with you more on that specifically since you're doing work in the tenants' rights space uh, because, you know, we could do a whole nother episode on that, but it's it's unfortunate that folks can rent an apartment that flooded and they have no idea that it flooded and they don't know to get flood insurance. They don't know that, that they're at risk. Uh, and it can decimate, you know, lower income families that rent cheap apartments that flood a, a lot, like Greens Point. You mentioned all the, all the floods we got there. And they kick everyone out. They renovate, sell it, rent it to the next person. And, and there's no notification. There's no disclosure. So that's something that we're working on. And we'll be uh, happy to talk to you more about that later. That would be awesome. That sounds like a very uh, good idea. Yeah, maybe you could flood us with data, Jeff. We like we like that data. Um, and, and speaking of corny little statements, now it's time for the Houston We've Got a Problem. Okay, we've had a problem here. This is Houston, say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. And do we ever. And that's never going to get old for me. Uh, so here's the round where I'm going to ask you a question. Jeff, be prepared. It may be hypothetical. It may not. It may be academic. And you've got 10 seconds to solve it. You ready? Oh, oh, this is a real test. I'm going to get my uh, pen and paper out here. If you could retrieve any data in the world, what would it be? How would you go about getting it? And what would you do with it? If I could retrieve any data, let me see if I got your question right. If I could retrieve any data in the world, what would it be? 
and how would I go about getting it? Yeah, so you could use um, this for your own financial gain. I'm going to give you an extra 10 seconds here to explain it. You could do anything <laughs> with it and you could get any data. This isn't back to the future where you, you know, can travel forward in time to get that sports almanac book. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I'm just curious, in, 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 in the data wizard's mind, Jeff Reichman, what data would you really want to get? What would you do with it? How would you get it? Yeah, I don't know if that data exists, to be honest, because I'm not really interested in people's private information, but I am interested in understanding how our governments work. And so I would want to get more data from our government to understand more about how they're enforcing policies from criminal justice reform to uh, housing policies to healthcare policies. I think it would be really interesting to get better operational data so that we can have a frank conversation about what our, what our public sector is doing and whether or not that aligns with our values. How would I get it? Man, it's tough. It's a, that's a, that's a tough question, but I, I do think that one way of, of thinking about data is that, there's data and then there's organized or tidy data, data that is, you know, like in a spreadsheet, data can just exist out there in the world. And it's part of our job to tidy it up, to make it understandable, to put it in spreadsheet form. And so learning how to program and building web scrapers and managing data through programmatic means is super important to be able to to at least start to mine those materials. If data is the new oil, then, you know, tidying is a process of refining, right? And that refining then makes it available for all sorts of other people to do cool stuff with. So uh, I guess I would want more government data. Maybe that's not as, as good. Oh, it's answer. good. That's good. You know, you made it you know back to Houston. I want to know, I wanna know what happened at the Harding Street raid. I want to know exactly oh, what happened. There we go. At the Harding Street raid. That's the data I would want. And who knows how to get that? Well, thank you for playing. Houston, we've got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for being on the show, man. We always appreciate talking to you and uh, be happy to get you involved with the organization because I think we're all like-minded and committed to, to really making an impact and improving the quality of life in Houston. Well, it's a pleasure talking to you all. I appreciate your time. Thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Enjoy your run. Thanks. Peace. See you guys. Please like and subscribe to the show. Give us five-star reviews. Also, what do you think about the show? Leave some comments. Do you like the challenge? Do you like to see me and Mario go toe-to-toe? Let us know you'd like to see us challenge each other on in the future. And thank you. Thank you so much for watching the show. Thank you for your support. Until next time. This has been another episode of Your Houston, the show where you make a difference.